Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. That's one of our Psalm Challenge, Psalm 37 there. And I hope that by the end of our time together today, you will be able to wholeheartedly declare that verse. I didn't really think about this, but uh, those, those words to those songs we were singing go so perfectly with the psalm we're going to look at this morning. And I kind of wish I would have flip-flopped and, and brought you the message first. So my challenge to you is to go back through uh, sometime this week, catch that uh, online, and re-sing those words and those lyrics with all your heart to the Lord, saying, I will follow the Lord. It's worth it. I've counted up the cost, and it is worth it. That's the, um, the, uh, the summary of the message that we are going to uh, get this morning. But before we start, I need to tell you, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel. And I want to take just a moment to thank all of our parents and thank all of those who carried students uh, to our HCSM, our Holland Chapel Student Ministry, this summer. Uh, we were able to have an incredible summer, and you made some adjustments this summer to make that happen. This is a picture from our last gathering. We had a big uh, kind of an end-of-the-year uh, party and send-off, and it was just an amazing summer in light of all the circumstances. So I want to thank you, parents, for making that happen. Also, if you would like to volunteer for HCSM, be sure and fill out that Connect card, drop it in the offering box, or do that online. We're going to be kicking off this fall. Our students cannot wait to get back um, to HCSM and see all of their group leaders and all the wonderful volunteers that we have. We're going to be kicking off September the 9th. So you got about one more week to sign up there to volunteer for HCSM. So thank you, thank you, thank you for making summer 2020 happen uh, with all the changes that we had to make. I'm excited to share this very emotional relatable. I think that we're all going to be able to relate to this. i got to get used to looking up there. The balcony is packed this morning. i got to see Chris way back there on the back row, and i got to get used to my eyes going up there now. It's awesome to have all you guys here today, uh, but I'm excited to share this psalm with you. We're in a series called If I'm Being Honest, and if I'm being honest with you, it took me about 10 seconds to decide this is the one I want us to look at. When you think about if I'm being honest and the words to these psalms, I don't know that there's a better one than Psalm 73 and the heart of this man named Asaph. Now, Asaph, he's the author. He wrote 12 uh, psalms, which is second only to David. Uh, so he's the second. Uh, he wrote the second most number of psalms. He's one of David's three chief Musicians. This guy was a big, big deal. Uh, he led music at some of the, the, the biggest moments in biblical history. He led music as the ark was being brought into Jerusalem by King David. He led music at the dedication of Solomon's temple. Why do I tell you that? Because I want you to know that this guy was a servant of the Lord. This guy was a believer, and yet he came to this uh, very heartfelt place in his life where he was laying all of his emotions out and being very, very honest with the Lord despite all that he knew about God. He, was, he, he knew about God's power. He knew about God's majesty. He was a, a servant. He, he loved the Lord. And yet he still came to the place where he wrote Psalm 73. He struggles with the same question that I have, that probably many of you have, that the folks watching online probably have. And here's the question. Is it really worth it to serve the Lord? Asaph came to a place in his life, despite all those things that he experienced, all the things that he had, had seen, and he came to this place where he, he was asking himself, is all this really worth it? 
And if you're like me, you've probably looked around and you've probably uh, saw successful, carefree, seemingly happy people who do not pattern their lives after this book. Uh, they don't put their neighbor before themselves. They don't even claim to know the, to, to know the Lord. And yet everything seems to go their way. And, and, and if you're like me, you've wondered, then why should I do this? Why should I live this way? Why should I resist temptation? Why should I respect others? Why should I show compassion? Why should I follow Jesus? That's the question that Asaph was asking in Psalm 73. I, I think it's like reading a page out of his journal. I, I think it's just like getting uh, inside of his mind as he struggled and wrestled with this question. So open your Bibles to Psalm 73. It's a, it's a lengthy psalm. We're, we're going to break it up and uh, read several verses at a time. We're going to start, obviously, in verse number 1. And I hope that uh, you see very clearly his struggle and then all the way into the conclusion that he comes to at the end of this passage. Verse 1. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. And you notice right off the bat that he's a believer. He said, truly, God is good to Israel. He recognizes the goodness of God. But then he comes to this place where he says, I almost fell. I almost lost my footing. Several times throughout Psalms, the writers mention following the Lord and staying on his path so that their feet don't slip. So I, think it's, uh, I don't think it's coincidence that he uses this language here. Um, he, he uses this slipping language, and you may not really recognize the magnitude of what he's saying here. He, he says, I was almost gone. I had almost given up hope. I had almost decided it's not worth it. It's a, an extremely desperate situation for a follower of the Lord who had placed his life in the service of the Lord to come to this place where he says, I almost lost my footing. Just to give you a little, uh, a little visual aid here, this is not Asaph on the video, uh, but, but just get this visual aid, this, this video image here in your mind of almost slipping. Check this out. That's the way you look when you climb the mountains, right, Kyle? Kyle goes on just like that, no problem at all. No. That is what I think of when I read Asaph's words here. Like desperate, dangerous, almost catastrophe moment here. He has almost lost his footing. He says, I was almost gone. What caused that? What caused a man who was in the service of the Lord, who had led worship in these pinnacle moments in Scripture, to come to the place where he said, I was almost gone? It's pretty simple, actually. He looked around. He got his focus all out of whack, and he started looking around. And he describes what he sees in verse number 3. Look at verse 3. For I envied the proud. When I saw them prosper despite their wickedness, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with the problems like everyone else. Asaph finds himself jealous of their prosperity, their pride, their popularity, and he begins to imagine himself in their shoes. 
He's wondering if his life would be better if they swapped places. He, he sees all the godless neighbors around him who aren't following Scripture, and yet their life seems to be in better shape than his. And he starts to think, is this really worth it? He's not the only one that thought that. Uh, in Scripture, Job uh, spends an entire chapter out of, jo out of his book, Job chapter 21. Job spends the entire chapter saying, God, why do the wicked prosper? God, why does this happen? Over and over again, he asks it throughout chapter 21. Jeremiah, look at this verse on your screen. Jeremiah chapter 12, he very honestly asks God. He says, Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you. So let me bring you this complaint. He said, why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? It's something that I believe we can all relate with. We can all understand this struggle. As we went over this uh, message earlier in the week with our team of pastors and I was telling them where we were going with Psalm 73, I, I think that we kind of took inventory and realized that we've all been there. We can all relate to this. A uh, quick story, Pastor Roger was going through Texas uh, a few months ago and uh, it wasn't his fault, but some guy crossed the line and, and ran Roger and Sheila off the road, and Roger's boat ended up in the ditch. And so it was a big mess, uh, insurance mess, and I think Roger uh, put Asaph's complaint into language that we can all understand when he said this Thursday morning. He said, the, believers don't have, the unbelievers don't have to wait for an insurance settlement while the righteous man ain't been fishing in three months. That's the way he felt. And that's the way we all feel from time to time. Why is, it, why is it this way? Asaph continues with his honest observations in verse 6. They, were, they wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. And this next verse, I've checked. It's the only place in Scripture you're going to see this phrase. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. Doesn't that say it in language that we can understand? Like he's looking around and he says, these guys have got everything. Read on with me, verse 8. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease with, while their riches multiply. He's looking around and growing more and more envious by the moment, it seems. The King James Version puts verse 10 this way. It says, waters of a full cup are wrung out for them. In other words, they get the very last drop of pleasure out of life. That's what Asaph's saying. He says they get the very last drop of pleasure. They're enjoying their life far beyond what I could imagine. One commentator put it this way. I'm not sure who said this, but I think it, it puts us even more into the mind of Asaph here. It says the psalmist looks at them and a touch of envy tinges his soul. There seems to be not a single cloud in their sky. He thinks of their crooked business dealings always aimed at those unable to retaliate. He thinks of the trail of sorrow and unhappiness that they leave behind, broken homes and broken hearts, and still the sun shines down on them as though they were favored of heaven itself. Notice Asaph even uh, begins to exaggerate here as he's saying this last passage. He says they're free of trouble. 
They have no problems. They have everything they want. And do you believe that you went to those people, they would say that? No, they wouldn't say that. They would say, I have problems. They would say, I don't have everything I want. I still need that and that and that. But Asaph, in his mind, is exaggerating to the extreme. He said they don't have any trouble. They have no problems. And here's the danger in looking around. Here's where he's going. You already noticed that he said, my foot almost slipped. I was almost gone. But here's the real danger when we look at what others have. We forget what it is that we need. When we look at what everybody else has, we forget what we need. And that's where Asaph finds himself here. He's too busy looking out, and he forgets what it is that he needs that only God can provide. And that's where he's at. He begins to then turn his attention from out, and he begins to look within. Asaph then looks within, as we'll read in verse 13. He starts to self-examine. He starts to ask himself questions. He says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. There he is exaggerating again. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. I think that's what caused him to almost throw in the towel. I think it was that statement right there. What a difficult task it is. He just said, God, I don't understand. I can't figure it out. And I'm done. I'm done trying to figure it out. I'm, I, I don't make any sense to me. And I am just about done. He's filled with turmoil. He's filled with unrest. If you were here last week or watched online last week, you know that uh, Pastor Todd uh, spoke and he brought Jordan Vice in. And they, they wrestled with this question, is it okay for a follower of Jesus to be deeply discouraged? And the answer was an overwhelming yes. That's what we see here. Asaph is deeply discouraged. He says, did I do this for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? See, when we look at what others have, not only do we forget what we need, but we forget what God has provided. We start, we start looking around and, and think they've got it all. We forget what it is that we need, and we go on and forget what it is that God has given us. We forget where we're going. We forget why this journey is worth it. He says, what a difficult task it is. He was trying to understand something that we're just not meant to understand. David, in Psalm 139, David says, such knowledge is too great for me to understand. David said it. He said, I, I can't understand that. God told Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 9, my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. Asaph was trying to, to answer this idea that, that he's not meant to figure out. God said, my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. And that frustration, this impossibility to understand, caused Asaph to almost give up. Then he does something that he probably hadn't done in quite some time. He doesn't look around. He quits self-evaluating. Self, uh, and then he looks up. He looks up. And I think he finds himself on his way back to solid ground. Look at verse 17. It says, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. That's a key phrase there. I understood the destiny of the wicked. 
See, what Asaph did here is he, he understood, he, he remembered that the faithful and the unbelievers are headed on different life paths. Those who are following Jesus, those who are faithful to the Lord, and those who are unbelievers, they're on a life path that goes to two different places. Not just here on earth, but in eternity. And Asaph remembered that. He said, I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. He goes on to say, Truly you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed completely, swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that it was my heart that was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Asaph is beginning to see the light now. He's beginning to understand where the problem was, and he's gaining a little bit of momentum. Check out this video clip to help us gain a little bit of momentum. It looks like he's got a ways to go there. No place I want to be. But he's moving faster. He's, he's a little more confident. What he did is he got back into fellowship with God. He looked up and he got back into fellowship with God. I've shared this quote with you before. I love this quote. I think it is so, so true. Worshiping does for the inner man what bathing, eating, resting, and exercise do for the outer. Worshiping, it changes you on the inside. If you want to do a little more study in the book of Psalms, there's a, a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. Uh, Philip Keller spent a little time as a shepherd, and uh, so he looks at Psalm 23 through the eyes of a shepherd. It's very enlightening, and he says this in this book. I think it goes perfectly with what we're talking about. Philip Keller said, when my eyes are on my master, they're not on those around me, and this is the place of peace. When my eyes are on my master, they're not on those around me. And this is the place of peace. Asaph realizes that. He realized that his eyes were in the wrong place. He realized that he wasn't acting like a child of God. He says, in fact, he says, I have been like a senseless animal to you. I've lost my senses. Anybody else been there where you've done something or you've said something and then you, and then you said, what was I thinking? I just lost my senses. Or in my house, I would say, have you lost your mind? Just, just forget what we're supposed to be focused on. And then you think, oh my, how could I do that? What happens is we emphasize the immediate and what's here and now and what we can see around us. And we minimize the eternal. We lose focus on what really matters. Asaph begins to find his conclusion as he considers where those two different life paths lead. He begins to realize what God has promised him. He uses the phrase here in a minute, the, the glorious destiny. As he begins to, instead of looking up, now he's looking ahead and he starts to see where his path is going. And he sees, begins to come to this conclusion that yes, it's worth it. Look in verse 23. He says, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Kind of sounds like Psalm 23. You guide me. You hold my hand. He goes on to say in 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, 
but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Asaph, once he came to his senses, so to speak, he remembered his salvation. He remembered his glorious destiny and he begins to look beyond the immediate into the eternal. Pastor Aaron said it a couple of weeks ago, where you are isn't nearly as important as where you're going. When he reminded us that our story is not over. Where you are isn't nearly as important as where you're going. And that's what Asaph remembered. That's the conclusion that he came to. He said, that's far more important than what I see he has or she has or they have or, or what I want. And he even says, I don't even care about any of that other stuff. I have a glorious destiny. I, I would put it this way. I think he's gone from asking what profit is there in the service of God to now he's saying, what profit is there in anything else? He's completely flipped. He started off saying, what profit is there in, in serving the Lord? Is it worth it? And now he's saying, what's the profit in anything else under the sun but following the Lord? It's easy to get, to get caught up looking around and, and get caught up in the moment, focusing on the immediate. But we've got to remember where we're going. Maybe you've been in a long car ride before. And uh, maybe you're going to the mountains of Colorado or Maybe you're going to see Mickey and Minnie in Disney World, or maybe you're going to get some sand in your toes at the beach, but you've got a long ride ahead of you. And that long ride, whether it's eight hours or sometimes it can happen in 30 minutes or, or 12 hours or whatever, bickering starts to happen. Sometimes it's the front seat, sometimes it's the back seat, arguing, problems start to arise. And then you remember where it is that you're going. And you say, in just a little while, we're going to be there and all our troubles are going to be over. Sometimes as Christians, I think we've, not sometimes, all the time, we've got to remember where we're going. And that one day, none of this stuff is going to matter. Let's look at Asaph's final conclusion. You can't read 26 verses and leave two there. So let's check out 27 and 28. He says, those who desert him will perish. For you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. He'd gotten away from God as he's looking around. And he says, this is where I need to be. I need to be in your presence, God. I need to be looking at you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. Did his situation change? Did it say in here that Asaph started getting riches and the money started rolling in and People started patting him on the back and telling him he plays that horn real good. No, that didn't change. His situation didn't change. His outlook changed. He changed his focus. He begins to look into the eternal. And he realizes that it's worth it. I love that he, he turns the language at the beginning from verse 2. It was, I almost slipped, like I was about to be gone. And then at the end, he's using language like, I will declare a bold Proud statement of firm footing. Last video clip. Standing on the solid ground. Still a little scary though. Asaph went from almost slipping 
looking around to then looking up and gaining a little bit of momentum. And then he began to look ahead, and he found that solid ground. Psalm 94 is one of the 48, I believe, psalms where the author is unknown. No one knows who wrote it, but uh, I have my suspicions as to who wrote Psalm 94. And he may have just written it from the top of a mountain. Look at Psalm 94 on the screen with me. Psalm 94, 18. It says, I said my foot is slipping, but Lord, your love kept me from falling. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. He was slipping. Doubts filled his mind, turmoil, unrest, uneasy. But the comfort of the Lord gave him renewed hope and cheer, probably as he began to look ahead and change his focus. This morning, everybody in this room and those watching online, you're on one of two paths. Either you're walking towards God or you're walking away from him. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those two paths are going to go to the opposite for eternity. Those two paths are going to fork. It's not just here on this earth, but even after this life, you're going to be away from God for eternity. I beg you to learn from this man's struggle that trusting in God and his plan for your life is worth it. And I can tell you this, his plan for your life begins with trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you've never done that before, you need to know that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth. A place that no one really wants to be right now. To this earth to live perfectly. To die on a cross willingly and then to rise again three days later so that you can know that you have that glorious destiny that is going to last forever. And your, God's plan for you starts by making that decision. Maybe this morning you've been looking around and you find yourself in that place that Asaph was about to slip. And maybe you just needed to read his conclusion. You just needed to see his heart and understand that you're not the only one that thinks that way. And come to the same decision that he had. That you need to look up. That you don't need to give up. That it is worth it. I pray this morning you make that decision. I pray this morning that these words... That God is penetrating your heart and, and helping you to understand which path you're on. Are you walking towards God? Are you on that path that leads to eternal destruction that Asaph, uh, that just a light bulb went off in his head? Psalm 37.4 was the first psalm that you heard this morning uh, as I got on the stage. It said, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. We don't need to look around and see what everybody else has. Take delight in the Lord, and He's going to give you what your heart desires. Sometimes we don't even know what we want until we take delight in the Lord, and then you'll find that what He gives you is better than anything the world has to offer. I'm going to pray, and then Josh is going to come up and give us some ways to respond. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the honesty that's found in there. Thank you, Lord, for men who wrote down their feelings, so that we could learn from them, so that we could uh, understand that we're not alone. Lord, I thank you that no matter how many doubts I have, no matter how many worries I have, no matter how close I am to slipping, Lord, that your love never fails. I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would make that decision this morning. And I pray, Lord, for those who may be on the edge, Lord, that they would look up to you that they would find their feet on solid ground again as they, as they rejoice in the glorious 
destiny that you have for them. Thank you for Jesus and giving us hope in him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.